Hi, I'm Connor Byrne, and this is That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you will hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique insights. Well, today's episode takes us out of the studio and into the cinema. It is with former head of social at Ryanair, Michael Corcoran. If you follow Michael, you will have seen a few months ago, he announced he was leaving Ryanair, but not much else came out at the time. So how could the guy who was applauded by not just the industry, but Ryanair themselves for transforming their social, leaning into their, well, let's say a reverent tone of voice, be leaving the company? What happened? Well, I asked Michael, would he share not just that story, but the story before all of that with you? And he said, yes. In fact, he asked, would I do it as he launched his new agency or offering, which is called Frankly. So this episode was recorded in the Stella Cinema in Dublin. Now, unfortunately, the guys Michael had doing the sound on the day, we had a few problems. I don't know if they weren't plugged in or something. Now, no jokes about low cost here, please. So unfortunately, we are working with the sound from the camera of the day. So we ask that you be a little bit forgiving of the sound and some of the background noise. But all that aside, it is a great episode and insight into how Michael views social, his approach to it at Ryanair and what he plans to do next. Look, you definitely can't apply the Ryanair tone of voice or model to most other companies. But you can learn a lot from this episode and thinking about why you're on social is one of the things you can definitely take away. But there's so much more. So listen on to the mastermind behind Ryanair's social renaissance, Michael Corcoran. Of course, please do subscribe, share, rate and review the show wherever you are listening or watching. It really does help us reach a new audience, build this community of great marketers. And of course, if you would like to reach a community of great marketers, you can get involved with That's What I Call Marketing through show sponsorship, content partnerships. Get in touch with us. That's what I call marketing.com and let's talk. Michael, thanks so for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. So we have to get straight into it. Uh, I mentioned you're the former head of social at Ryanair. Now, is it true that you left because you were the person that threw the cake at Michael Leary's face in, in recent months? Or is something else behind it? Like true Ryanair, Bjorn, I can neither confirm deny any allegation of false. Uh, no, I'm not. Um, it was, yeah, a bit of a rocky one. If anyone saw my LinkedIn post, they could probably speculate a lot that happened. Um, as I said to you earlier, when we were talking, my brother gave me a good phrase to use when it came to setting up a business. You can get me up the steps of the courthouse, but don't get me in the door. So, look, in short, um, I worked there for nearly two and a half years. It was an amazing time, an amazing opportunity, a huge brand with huge potential yeah. to do great things, and we were given permission to do it. Um, it came to kind of fruition that some of the behaviours of certain leaders within the marketing department I just wasn't happy with. And when it started to impact, again, my team, I am out of a stand and nothing was done. So I decided to walk out and uh, here we are. Take a, take a stand and walk. Well, I mean, that's a, a very brave decision. I'm not going to make you the hero of the, of the era, though it is your thing. But, um, <laughs> we'll thankfully, a thankfully I don't have an ego because this is all a bit mad. Um, but brave thing, I mean, you've got, you know, you've got family, you've kids, and, and to actually just go and say, actually, no, I'm, I'm out. It, it was kind of calculated at the same time. Like, again, when I told my wife I was about to do this, she lost her shit. <laughs> she thought it was my, I did something wrong. Which, again, I, I, wouldn't, I would not blame her. I am liable to do a lot of stupid shit over my career, my years, so I'm usually one to blame, but 
after explaining to you the situation and also we built a lot of currency in the work that we did at Ryanair for the last couple of years. So I knew I'd be okay if I took a step. Again, I don't want to be a marker, I don't want to be a hero. I wasn't a victim of it, but I was a witness to it. And whatever little bit of integrity I had left as a human being and a professional, I, I had to do something. Um, because I knew there were people in there who, who did leave, and who were just so demotivated and lost energy that they they, they didn't want to say anything. There were people who were in there who were trying to build a CV. People in there who have young families who couldn't take the risk or people who were trying to save her house six months so paste that just to get a mortgage. I was kind of set up, I was okay, and I, I knew myself, whatever I do next, I, I would be fine. I, I did enough to prove that the work worked and I might bring a bit of value to somebody else's business. Can I ask you to bit of I want to get onto lots of other topics, but sure. But right, maybe culture, because maybe this obsession from the outside looking in, the culture of Ryanair is probably reasonably aggressive. And that would be fair. Like it's firm and fair, and there's no bullshit the hell the business is operating. That has its perks. Because as marketeers, we have drank a lot of Kool-Aid and we speak a lot of fluff. And it's taken me a lot of years to actually get that out of my system. And um, so much so that when I went to go work there originally, that was attractive. And there are plenty of parts within the business and plenty of really good people within the business that do a lot of great work. Sadly, I can only speak from my experiences within the marketing department rather than anywhere else. Yeah, but enough for you to, to make the stand. Let's talk about mm. um, social media at, at Ryanair and hopefully people some, saw some of the quotes that were up here of, of things that were said. And we had, was it called the most savage airline account, I think by the Washington Post, no, no less. Uh, McDonald's wrote, you and your team have redefined the industry. You were in an open new horizons for every social team across the world. Like that's head of social from McDonald's, which, mm -hmm. you know, big accolades. And there was many, many more. But when you went in over two years ago, the social setup in line here, what was, what was that setup? And what were the things you, you kind of identified early? Again, I'm never going to take credit for the tone of voice or the DNA of what the brand has. That's been there for years. Yeah. The PR days of the old, what O'Leary did in front of people. Some of the social media and some of the marketing advertising that I've done for many years, we just brought it back to life. And um, at the time it was COVID, so the airlines were decimated. They couldn't really talk much about what to do or, yeah. or where to go. So the team was a little bit fragmented. They were more focused on triaging a lot of problems and actually using the platforms at full potential. So, like was, I would take a lot of pride in developing a strategy and putting a really good team together. Timing and look was a really big part of it as well at the same time. So, you know, and, and once I was given a carte blanche opportunity to do what was right for the brand, the rest is history. Now it took a little while. Yeah. There are still people in there who disagree with what we did. But based on the insight that was laid out in front of us and the strategy that we developed, for us, it was the best use of the platforms to try and deliver low-cost, high-return reach for the business. Orange media, which again, as a, as, a, as a low cost brand, marketing budgets aren't big. So when you're competing against other airlines in the category, even other brands, they're using 10X the budget that you would have. So every penny counts and head counts and, and media spent. And they would obsess about that. And the business obsessed about it. Um, but when I came in at first, it was I was given time to observe. And it was literally starting to scratch and putting the piece in place, developing a strategy, getting buy-in on the strategy from the senior people, and then iterating and assembling a team to execute on it that I thought was fit for purpose. It took about six months after the time the strategy was sold in to try and see it all click, because when you start to build a team, they need to understand how to deliver. It all came from different backgrounds. They weren't your pure social media people and marketeers. They were 
the greatest bunch of misfits you could, you could assemble to deliver on the strategy. But when it clicked and you saw the moment and clicked and you saw the moment the business understood the potential opportunity here, we got the permission then to take it further. Talk to me about the, the, the strategy development piece, because that, that's very important to get that right. Was there a strategy in place and then you were kind of evolving it or did you have to come in? There, there was no documented strategy. And like, that's the biggest thing that I guess pisses me off in the industry that I've done a lot of these talks over the last couple of years. And the normal question, I might do it here. Hopefully you'll prove me wrong, but I'm probably quite confident how it goes. Hands up here, who has a documented social media strategy on a piece of paper? that answers the problem or a gap, that has a set of guiding principles that get you from where you are now to where you are next. That is not tactics, that is not how you use the channel, that is not the formats, that is not the execution, an actual strategy. <laughs> Nobody in the room has it. And that scares the shit out of me. Especially because it, we all know the potential that the platforms have. Everybody's using it and investing as best they can in it. But yet nobody's thinking strategically about how to use the platform. And that really worries me. Yeah. And that gave us an, an advantage already. Because not only it gave us a set of decisions on what to do, more importantly, it allowed us to make decisions, uh, sorry, on what to do. It allowed us to make decisions on what to do, or sorry, what not to do. And sometimes strategy is about sacrifice. And sometimes we're not willing to do that. And when you're a new form of communications and you're getting pressure from the brand team, PR team, commercial team, ESG, HR talent to stick this on social, you're not only competing against yourselves, you're competing against the category. Not only are you competing against the category, but you're competing against all other brands. Not only are you competing against all other brands, you're competing against your sister posting her bottomless mimosa brunch on the internet, or your brother's walk with the dog in the monkey park. It's a very competitive space. And you don't make a set of decisions and think about what is the role for the platform and how can it make impact for your brand or business. You're already losing. But yet brands are spending half a million, a million, two million, on creative and then when the creative doesn't work, high paid media team can stick a load of media behind it because this isn't working and now we have to force it down people's necks even though it won't work again. And it's, it's, there's an absence of it and I don't know what happened. It, it, the only things I consume is it just mean that social media is so young in its, in its existence, about 15 years old. Like above the line in TV is what, 60, 70, 60 years old, maybe TV, 70 years old. And, and, and they don't even know what they're doing and they're still getting or figuring it out. But yet, for some reason, you have people who say they black and white know how to use these platforms, even though they change every day. And it's this domino effect of this bullshit that comes down that's created this sea of chaos that everybody's losing, but all the platforms are winning because we're putting all this content, all this money on them, and they're putting it in their back pockets. What were, what were the things that you decided you weren't going to do? What were the, we want to do this? Well, we weren't going to be a traditional brand because Ryanair and its DNA has been a disruptor. It has been a polarizing brand since 1984. You flew Dublin to London on Erling because of British Airways, it would have cost a three or 400 euro. Ryanair came to town with 15 quid. Democratized travel made it accessible for all. So even in the business, they disrupted. But as a tone and as a brand in their advertising for years, they did the same thing. So that was like a superpower for the brand, but yet for some reason, it got lost along the way and they wanted to be more customer first. And what I mean by customer first is the marketing customer first. It's that fluffy, we love our customers. No, they fucking don't. <laughs> what they provide is a low-cost product that is really good. And that's good to customers. But yet they shied away from that and they didn't lean in on the good things about what we're in Europe. So we wanted to be polarized because everybody on social wants to be this fake, filtered brand. This polished premium brand, it just becomes winning on one. And the second we immediately 
stop doing that and start looking different. That's one step in the journey of grabbing attention. Again, there were other things around not talking, talking less about the actual um, travel experiences and the core things you automatically default to and change it from being aspirational to being relatable. And when you start to get in and understand the relatable behaviours of people and why they go to social media in the first place, and cater to that needs first. That's the second half of that yeah. after you grab attention. So I'll give you a quick run through the strategy, will I? Yeah, great. Okay. Pens and papers and <laughs> Well, no, I, I, I can share it. I normally put it up on the slide. So again, the crazy thing is like, we're not afraid to share the strategy because when it gets condensed down, it is actually quite simple and it should be for everybody to buy into. But it's doing all the work in advance to get to that set of decision-making skills. It's like all good strategy, and if I'm manspreading, which I probably do half the time, I apologize, is based on four variables, brand, category, customer, and the social media landscape. Surprise, surprise, you know? So what we did is we went to find insight, gaps, problems, and opportunities that we think the platforms could solve for brand and business. And we got to two or three problems that it could solve. You know, Ryanair needed low cost, high return, which help a mind awareness because we couldn't afford it or we weren't going to invest in it. And social media was not paced for both. But the only way we could do that, as an that was the problem. The opportunity was we needed to be disruptive. We needed to stand out. We needed to be polarizing on the platforms in order to garner as much attention as possible. Again, surprise, surprise, Ryanair grabbing attention in the headlines. Yeah, America. The second was that, you know, social media is filled with this fake filter to see And it was all about what we need to do for you rather than understanding customers' motivation on the platforms. The main two motivations people go to social media, and I will keep saying this till I get sick, one is to be entertained and two is to escape from the chaos or the realities of life. And if you're there forcing passive content or heavy ads on the platforms, they're immediately going to switch off. So it's about understanding those motivations first. And again, you think about what you do in your day as busy marketeers. You're working maybe 10 to 12 hour days or on awful commutes in and out of Dublin or even just to get across Dublin, it's bloody awful. <laughs> but you've got these small pockets of small bursts of consumption habits where most of us use social media. It's 10 minutes on the commute on the desert. It's five minutes sitting on the toilet. And don't lie, you fall. <laughs> it's those little moments of serotonin and escapism most people look for, but yet we don't cater to those needs and the content that we create all the time. Well, one other thing, though, would you agree? Uh, people go to social media to give out. Oh, yeah. And, that, and that's the next thing we're just about oh, to get there. Okay. Here again, you've got to head. <laughs> so the third problem I had was. People had a, 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 a different perception about traveling low cost than what they should have had. And this was being played out in social. So there's, again, a lot of first world problems. If you understand Ryanair and you read the terms and conditions, you understand the product. But for some reason, you had these privileged people and a privileged audience who gave out constantly about first world problems because they didn't read the terms and conditions or their expectations were just way too high. And they wanted USB chargers, massage seats on a two-hour flight to Malaga. That is cost them a tenner. It's drying our prices. So yeah. we, we tapped into that and we wanted to try and put some manners on it. So rather than trying to communicate it in the other way, we wanted to find a way to shift that perception and use the platforms to do it and make people hate Ryanair less. I'm not going to talk about brand love, but that's another piece of fluff. It was just hate the brand less and shift the mindset. Sorry, I wanted to finish the one. Were you able to measure hate the brand less? Yes. Brand survey. Okay. So we didn't have to reach two million people in 18 months just about it with Brian done. <laughs> we actually then asked our insights team, well, how can we measure this to actually show that it's working? So within our brand service that went out to, I think, 30,000 people. I might be sloughing that. I have somebody in the room, excuse me, not to say, was it about that? It was about that? Okay. 
So they went out to about 37 people, and in those we asked the question about, you know, what again is the forms of communication are the things that actually make you like lying now more? I would have preferred to say like paid us less, but yeah, and that was a bad life that I lost. But in that, we started on a baseline of two in 10 people like the brand because of what we put in and how we behaved on social media. Honest, transparent, uncomfortably, yeah. in the end, for some people, but, but that's what we did. There were two people who were detractors, and you're always going to get detractors with your business. You'll always have somebody that'll have a bad customer experience. A problem will happen, a human error, or somebody will have a bad customer experience no matter what. Stuff will never change. But what we saw golden was six passive people who didn't know and weren't, were undecided. And over the course of two or three quarters, we saw that two and 10 go to three and 10, the four and 10, the five and 10. And social was one of the main leaders was driving that likeness to the brand. So that, that had impact in the business that had enabled that we were potentially changing the mindsets of people. Antidotally, if you were, I guess, a, a viewer of Ryanair's content over the years, you would have saw two years ago the comment section before just in Bitterrod and hate for the brand. Yeah. It was sectative, absolutely sectative. <laughs> But over the course of the couple of years, we started to see change. Not only were they being entertained by the content, we actually saw low-engaged advocates come fight our corn. And so, I'll explain that a little bit. <laughs> so when you fly like Ryanair, you'll fly from A to B, you'll get as close to as possible on time uh, for low cost. Ryanair does its job. You know, but yet nobody's going to go and hug every crew member or pilot going, you're the best air they ever. Themselves. They're not going to rush to social media and go, this is the best brand ever. I've had the great, no, then we just did our job. Okay, there's the right, uh, right, uh, the right keen quote about the postman. You don't open your door every day to the postman and give him the biggest hug and high five and say, you smashed it, postman. You're the best postman yeah, we ever. Bus drivers, though. We thank yes, them. We, thank them. Bus, we do. Yeah, yeah. We do. But like, the postman did its job, and Ryanair was the same for many people. So we were left with nothing but negativity at first. But as the content started to unlock, and as we started to tap into relatable moments of traveling across, as we started to explain the business model to those who were smug enough to understand it, they started to appear in the comment section because they saw other people complaining about terms and conditions that they didn't read or first world problems. And they actually started to fight our corner first, helping shift the perception, right? And now if you look at the comments, yes, it has a, a certain amount of negativity, but the sentiment tone towards the brand has completely changed what it was two years ago. And that obviously then in, internally huge, I guess, flawless and, and, and people loved it. Did it, you mentioned earlier on that there were some that didn't agree with the strategy and mm -hmm. maybe still, still don't. Why was that when it was proving out that it was working, performing? What, what was the challenge there? They never could understand or articulate it in a very good way as marketeers. No, what their problem was. And what their problem was with it. I think it was more subjectivity than actually looking at the information in front of it. And that's sometimes where we fail as marketeers. There's too much subjectivity in it. We need a certain amount of business document and experience and go through zeal to make a decision in but they were wanting to be something the brand is not. And when you start doing that, people will call out bullshit straight away. And no better place to call out that bullshit is a place where they can actually talk back to you. Yeah. Uh, was there a moment as you were kind of creating all the work and the team were creating the work that it was like an accelerator that you knew this was right? Like this oh was yeah, there was, a, there was a come to Jesus moment. And it was absolutely, and it was a squeaky bum moment too. It was around the time of the Tories Deming Street parties in the UK. I'm not sure if all of you are familiar with it. During COVID? During yes. just on the on the outside of the yes. COVID, when yes. things are coming back to normal. And there was a scale or a table and Boris Johnson, the rumours, I think the inquiry's on now about the WhatsApp yeah. conversations. It's absolute chaos. We lost them. <laughs> we lost them all. Yeah, yeah. but yet they went to the High Court to say that we can't show them. What was it? Weird. 
but essentially, at the time it happened, we, we started to lean in on that as an opportunity in a moment. And there was one moment where there was the scale the NHS brought in, but the levels one to five around how you can actually engage with people in certain groups, and there was no goal in parties. We took that at the time, we parodied it, and we wor worked on copy that was on it. And there's one line of copy that we knew we were probably going to get in trouble if we shared it for approval first. Right. And there was that moment of, do it now and ask for forgiveness. This works, we're sorted. If it doesn't, we're gone. <laughs> and that line was off your tits. Right. And you can imagine a corporate brand putting that on a piece of hardware. You were getting trouble. And it was very close. So it went out anyway and it started to get traction. You had the Tories who enjoyed it, or no, not really enjoyed it. And then you had the, the, the anti Tories and the, the anti Brexiteers who were like, this is exactly what we all want to say. Hey, this is nonsense. I can't believe you're doing it. But you can see our marketing director, Pierre Over, is a uh, little pond there. And everyone will go, what the fuck have you done? And I'm like, just, just wait, just trust me on this. Then all of a sudden, like, it picked off and got good traction. Where I'm getting to, the moment that it happened was, I think it was the next day or the day after, the Financial Times wrote a, a full article about brands being more linear, about being irreverent what's going on in the world and being true to your tone of voice. The following Sunday, a page seven print of the Sunday Times, that piece of content on this little social media where the bunch of 12 year olds tweet all day yeah. was actually in the print paper. Right. And why is that important? Because most of the people who are the big decision makers in the business are reading those papers. They're not on social as much as us. Yeah, yeah. The fact it was in print, it means investors, CEOs all saw it. When we knew we knew we had sorry, when we knew we had license, that was printed out with a handwritten letter from our both our CEOs for both articles and put on our table. That was literally that you have permission now to disrupt. And from that was like the papal smoke going up and like, okay, let's supercharge it now. We've got this. So how did you go about supercharging? Because again, looking in, looking in to, to Ryanair, it looked like that machine. And it was just... It was a machine. Yeah. We assembled a team of eight people, including myself. And they were, they were a mix of different types of characters and people that were needed. We needed social media managers, kind of the traditional people, detail-oriented people that needed the platforms. And we needed them basically to steer the ship. But we also needed to find people who were creators. Because the strategy was a creator-led approach. And again, we can unpack that a little bit more. Maybe I can talk about it later for the purposes of saving you 25 minutes of boredom. But essentially, we assembled this. I know it's locked. We are going to sacrifice one of you, marketing the directors. To marketing it's going to be the one another hand up. Yes, yeah. the strategy. Yeah. First, first question, you're gone. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but essentially, what we did was we assembled people who knew the platforms, who knew how to take a low-fight approach to create it, knew to understand to create content, match with those detail-oriented people to figure out a way to deliver as much content across reactive and always on as possible. Um, within the execution of the strategy, there were two leaders. There was reactive and community, who did what I said in the ten, and there was always on. So we divided the team essentially into two tribes. And the, the, the commitment was 50% of your working week is dedicated to that tribe. So we had four people on reactive, maybe four people on always on. And in reactive, they were the news jackers. They were the people who found and de developed discovery processes to try and find what was happening in the news. And then we created processes and conditions and ways to then write and develop entertainment-like content that was indirectly or directly connected back to Ryanair and do it at pace. And again, we can unpack that further if you want. On the other side, then, was always on. They were the people who were trying to deliver the perception change messages. And in that, they were delivering as high a frequency as possible static and video production creative that landed those messages in an equally entertaining and self-deprecating way and deliver that one week in advance that then was put into our schedule plan. So the two of these working together allowed us to build and grow our foundations. And again, a jab-jab hook is something that somebody said to me before that stuck in my head, I won't take credit for it. 
But essentially what we were doing, it was like we were hitting a right jab with reactive content. We had this big opportunity to reach as many people as possible with the reactive content. Now, what I can say about the algorithms, aside from that, because anyone who says they know that they're talking about algorithms is also full of shit. They're spoof merchants, okay? Even the algorithm, the robot itself, doesn't even know and is trying to figure it out. But what we do know is that your content gets served to a small pool of no engaged users. And if they engage with it at a certain speed or a certain rate, it's going to push it out to more low engaged users. So our content is all about breaking that threshold. And when we reach loads of low engaged users, we then had a small window of opportunity. If you engage with that content, it says, okay, you like this piece of content, whatever it is. So we're either going to give it more content from that account or similar content of that style to you. Yeah. And it creates that window of opportunity. If you can find other content that can equally engage with them after that moment of of, I guess, virality, for want of a better word, you, you can equally grow your foundations. And by using both of those styles of content consistently at frequency over time, we got our foundations, so I think it was on 5 million on average when this really started to take off, to averaging 30 million plus people, but without anybody being quiet. This is That's What I Call Marketing. If you would like to get involved with the show through sponsorship or content partnerships, Visit that's what I call marketing.com. Talk about the frequency, like pop sorry frequency. Again, people again will spoof about how much is kind. Again, it depends. It depends on what you're doing, how many channels you're on. But we there was no science to it at first. But again, I was on another podcast before when I explained the goal. Wait, my vote, that is an actual science. <laughs> I was like, okay. There was a method. Yeah. So we need to deceive, say always on from a point of view, we need to see, well, what was the max amount of content you could deliver on a week-to-week -week basis in advance? So we just set a number, and looking at how long the average piece could take, we said, we need 10 pieces of video creative every week, and we need to get it consistently one week in advance. When we reach that and we get comfortable doing it, we're onto something. Equally same with static creative. So we built this system, and it was awful at first. It took forever for us to get there. Like, and again, it wasn't perfect. But we eventually got there because people were new, people were fit in there. And the quality of the content wasn't great at first, too. Again, we were using static images with pop images just to play yeah, yeah. sounds of trends to the point where we actually real people on camera and improving the quality of the creative concept. Yes, yeah. But we eventually got there. When we got into our rhythm, we started to see, well, what content is performing and being sticky? Okay, we're going to put that into a bank. We called it the Banger Bank. Great name. And in that Banger Bank, we just started to build a, basically a, a bucket of content that we needed to reuse and could reuse. And essentially, when we got to that threshold of hitting, I think it was 100,000 video views, which is absolutely mad, by the way. If you were asked, could you hit 100,000 video views, the most brand piece of content, they'd be like, yeah, I'll take it. But that was our baseline. So we started to build a system. When we had a reserve of content that was big enough to bring back into our weekly planning cycle, we dropped the amount of content we made. So we went from making 10 to making 8. We brought 2 in from the back. Then we went on again. We refined, got better, we learned. Then we went from 8 to 6, and we brought in 4. And we brought into, we got down to making four pieces of video creative every week, bringing six back in, refining, tweaking, spending less time. And what that happened allowed us to do, we were able to build this catalog of content that was the foundations of our, of our output. We were able to reuse and recycle content, and we were also then able to free up time and capacity to focus on another project that we need to fix within the strategy. Now, there's one thing I'll call out here as well, and I don't know whether they're going to ask me, is, oh, but Michael, you're reusing content. You can't do that in social media. Every creative agency, every social media agency, everyone says, once it's used once, you can never do it again. And you've got to use all this content that we make for you all the time and never use it again. Why? Because that's how creative agencies make bloody money. You know, and it's the biggest, again, Ponzi scheme the social has been for the last few years. Because the diagnosis for, oh, to win on social, you must need 
new content all the time, a conveyor belt of 30 pieces of content, a full content plan every month, but you can never put it on again. Imagine if I went to you as a marketeer and said, right, I want to make a TV ad, Michael. I want to spend 250 grand on it, but you can only put it on RT2 at 9 o'clock tomorrow night and never use it again. You tell me the fuck off. We need frequency, we need repetition, we need to land our message over time. We have, for some reason, unfortunately, can't do that. You can never reuse a piece of content. But the reality is the content itself is only seen again by a small pool of people, those little tiny high-engaged users. And if they see it again, good, because that's recall, that's repetition, that's frequency. But for the vast majority, they'll only see it for the first time. So again, we debunked all of this bullshit and we created a system that actually got us more bang for buck. So rather than one video delivering 100,000 videos once and never using it again, we were using it every maybe 12 to 16 weeks over a course of a year and a half to two-year period. And the funny thing is, as we built the system, the performance of the content grew over time. The foundations grew over time. So that 100,000 then became 200,000. Then it became 300,000. Some of them hitting one million. So the return on investment of the content became rather than, you know, X amount of money or X amount of resource for 100,000 views, it became the same amount of resource for three or four million video views. Was, was the pace relentless in trying to create that? Particularly at the beginning, because like, yeah, Oh, yeah. No, I say it was an absolute gobshun to Eden. But again, I wanted to create a culture of, of delivering in the right way and hitting goals and get the process. And like, we still had a lot of fun. If we were creating boring content, I'm sure they would have walked out the door a hell of a lot faster. But the fact that we were delivering something that was right and true, we were finding methods and ways to improve it over time. I think it got a bit easier. It was challenging, but like all the work should be. But the guys had creative freedom, they had a license and they had a fairground to do things really, really well. Did you get anything wrong? Hot time. Like you always get it wrong. Like that's that's the difference about being brave. And being brave on social or marketing can differ for everyone. But Ryanair had it. And again, everybody complains about Ryanair anyway. So seeing a negative piece of content wasn't really happening. Yeah, there are moments where us as humans, we we are emotional. We are going, shit, that was bad. But in most cases for the content, it was fine. We understood we could compartmentalize. And if they did have a bad moment, well, I took accountability for that straight away. It wasn't their problem. There are moments I think that went really wrong, and there were moments where it went wrong, but it was good that it went wrong at the same time. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, England's World Cup squad announced we had Jordan Sancho, and he didn't make the squad, so we put out a piece of content. That was, the context of it was always look on the bright side, you can travel with us. And again, that's what the context was, and the, the, it wasn't well received in that way. So we didn't do enough due diligence just knowing that Jordan Sancho uh, missed the penalty in Oral 2020. And there was a lot of, I think, toxicity and bullying around that, yeah. that people connected it to it out of context. Were we focusing on that? No, we weren't. But that doesn't stop the internet from doing it. And they will always do it. So you had United fans backing them up. You had English fans who were backing up. You had all this completely exploded, uh, who were getting offended on his behalf. And then you had the people who are influenced who do the same thing. And that's just supercharges. Our lovely friend, Stephen Mark, the CEO, staunch uh, United fan, and got outraged on their behalf, cut his puppy mates with them, and took it and had to screenshot and put it in and was like, oh, we shit, we're fucked. <laughs> so that went in the explode. But what happens with the anatomy tweet when it takes it out of comments? You have people who get outraged on, on somebody else's behalf. You have people who just genuinely don't like you for some reason, whether it's a bad customer experience or don't believe the values the brand have and who will go after you. And then they're just idiots on the internet who will take you down because you appeared in their feed and it's your own and it and you've got to be okay with that. Now, were there things that could have improved to mitigate that? Yes, there are. One of those is we tag Jordan by mistake. We don't normally tag accounts unless they're public figures. If they're public figures or politicians, fair game, we will rip them apart because you can't. 
Some people know. For those who don't, Sir Romainer and Prince William, and, and we connected us. So when we saw that, we, we have to do something about this because the media weren't going to because of their secret handshake with the royal family. So it was a great opportunity. So we went, okay, well, why don't we share a picture of a scene with the Aaron Wrestle? <laughs> so the guys went and did it. They got the piece. There was several scenes downstairs. They told us. <laughs> Uh, we put it up and giving enough of the information to make the joke still work without getting us in trouble. So it was essentially William, we saved you a seat. Now, that could have been any William. That could have been <laughs> Josie from, you know, Edison County Clare who called right now and went, guys, it's our 50th anniversary. I want to surprise my husband, Seamus, for the holiday. Can we stick it and I'll post up on social as part of it just for the day? Sure. What I mean by that, we mitigated so much that it could be interpreted into anything, and the audience were left to decide what, what it was. So we put it out, blew up as an army did, because people understood it. I was at home playing fetch with my dog in the green, I get a phone call from the PR team. And says, Michael, what have you done? And I went, what? Uh, Kensington Palace have called and they said they wanted a piece of content taken down or of public apologies from the CEO, or a statement as to why he did it. And I went, oh. I said, have you contacted the legal team? She said, we have. And I said, are we all, are we liable? And they said, we're not. So they said, well, please. <laughs> so that was fair. And I went, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I have to go talk to the gaffer now and figure it out. So they went to him and talked and they asked, well, what do you want to do? He said, well, I'm not going to apologize. I said, well, what, well, maybe we make a statement. So can we just delete it? Well, well, we can because we got what we needed from it. There were screenshots galore, it was shared everywhere. So look, it got what we needed. So we called him back and went, yeah, we'll happily take that down. Fair bit, thank you. Bye. And it was just done. It was done. Uh, not a lot of people have the, maybe the tone of voice of, of Ryan here. Right? Very few. So, very few. It was few notables that have had that enjoyable, humorous tone of voice and being able to push it that far. And I, I think, you know, people listening to this or people here today are going, yeah, that's all great. Like, my brand doesn't, doesn't talk that way and can't talk that way. And therefore, this is all kind of interesting, but not really useful to me. What would your response be to that? I always caveat Ryanair are the exception, and they're not the norm. A bit like the Paddy Powers of the world, and a bit like even the allies of the world when it comes to their own voice. However, you, that doesn't mean you can't learn about how we, we developed the strategy, how we put a team that could execute that were fit for purpose in new platforms and knew how to deliver, and then deliver content in a way that people want and consume. The problem is people are taking advertising of old, and they're sticking it on social, thinking that that's how it's going to work, where it's not. Yes, paid media to an extent, because there's a trade-off there. This is a paid ad, we know what it is, but that's not the majority of what people consume. When it comes to content, it's completely different. So understanding the motivation, which I said earlier, entertainment and escapism, moving and being comfortable with decoupling a bit from being overly premium and polished on the platforms to being more real and low-fi, Again, that is down to then feel for what the brand is, because some brands are premium brands and they want to be positioned. Does that mean they can't deliver premium content on the internet? No. Which kind of goes back to your point later on, but it depends. It depends. Do you know what I mean? It all does. It, it all depends. And that's my answer every time. Yeah, which is a good answer, though, I think. You know, because when people ask, well, how do I do it? It depends. Like, again, you have to unpack and understand. Well, what's the problem you want to solve? Can solution do What's the reality then? Time, resource, and budget. Do you have what you need to actually deliver on this effectively? If not, we make a set of decisions on how we do it. Do you even have budget or do you just have human beings and plenty of them to do it? Okay, let's find a way to solve maybe one or two of those problems now and next. 
build a case for actually how the platforms can actually deliver impact, stay focused on that, and then hopefully go to the guys above and give them good business and brand rationale and try and unlock some more. But at the moment, we're not doing a very good job. And most of social media professionals are doing a really shit job of it. Like, we're to blame for what's going on. We're to blame for C-suites not understanding this because they have a perception of fluffy social media and rightfully so because yeah. we aren't building the case with them against brand and business to unlock and get a respect for the opportunity that's there. You were able to tie you know, the social media work to what you brand love um, or, or less shifting, hate. Less hate, shifting perception, which is important. Were you able to connect it to commercial outcomes? Yes and no. Holistically, we could have. But what the, the fear of that is we were confident knowing that it didn't matter how much marketing you invested in Ryanair, the quality of the product would deliver the commercial needs. And there were other problems to solve for the business beyond the commerciality. If we started to connect and track data and track conversions, we would probably leave the essence of what it was. We'd get bogged down and focused on conversion metrics rather than brand yes. building metrics or perception changing metrics, and then we would not have won and delivered what we did. Like that data is important. There are important conversion and capabilities of social media. But when it comes to solving problems, branding and perception are probably two big leaders. Reach is probably the most important KPI I would ever type on social. After that, the rest of the vanity and flow. So you weren't, and you weren't concerned with or being asked to kind of say, how does this convert to bugs on scene? Some people, right. And we can show an antidote, but the business were confident. And like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like again, O'Leary went to the marketing department a while ago and he goes, look, I get marketing, I understand marketing, but I'm confident that if I didn't have one person in that marketing team there or one cent spent on marketing, that we would still reach 128 million pastors by 2026. So what's the role of marketing? What a bomb to trial. And I was, <laughs> because it's his right. And like, everything we did was built on understanding the business and how we can plug ourselves and be a representation of and that's where we had the tension with other marketeers within the team wanting to be this warm customer friendly fuzzy brand and wanting to do all this marketing. But it wasn't Ryanair. And that's what was so brilliantly simple about what we did. We were being transparent and honest. We were being ourselves. And we did it in a way that was right for the brand and business. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest is history. Like it just completely exploded far beyond my expectations. Really? Of course it did. Yeah. Like the Washington Post writing about yeah. it. Yeah. A piece of content appearing on Jimmy Fallon. Tonight Show on US television. Yeah. Like, when we saw it, that was our, like, shit, we're done. Like, I can retire now. I can go back to farming. I'm just going to be until you're interviewed with the local radio station. Oh, it's going to be your biggest. Well, that's a new, that, that's, no, I think this is lovely, though. That's, that, that, that's probably a sign that we must have done something right when the Kilkenny people is calling me for an interview. Now, the only time I thought I'd be in the Kilkenny people is probably two occasions. One, if I was appearing in front of the district board, I'd seen the debt notes. <laughs> um, so it's a bit wild that you know when this is happening that you must be doing something that is impactful beyond the echo chambers of the team, beyond the marketeers who are acknowledging yeah, yeah. your work. It was carried through to the actual customers and the journalists. And it was, this is all a bit mad if I'm, if I'm being honest. Like even seeing my stupid mobile pink hair, it's not a midlife crisis. <laughs> Actually, pink hair is... It's, it's, it's for charity. charity. My yeah. neighbour, Lynn, is going through breast cancer at the moment, so we didn't share with I have one razor, so... It, it, maybe, in, maybe a midlife crisis. <laughs> it has been a very emotional time for me, so maybe I'm projecting through that. But, um, no, it'll be gone soon. It'll be gone for Christmas. <laughs> and look, obviously we're here today, and we, we're going to get to questions from for people here, and Mike has the... 
the catch box is going to throw uh, in your direction and, and go I'm going to hurt somebody. Uh, I did say that. I did say this is I'm making you up your badly. Um, but, fronting, you're, you're launching an agency, fractional leadership. Mark, what is it? What Take, is it? Get all those white keywords out. Let's get them out. This is like therapy. Uh, frankly, good question. So, frankly, as a consultancy of sorts, I'm trying to find a name other than consultancy because I don't even want to use any. I had the, the privilege of having about three months' worth of phone calls with marketeers, CEOs, business people when I was going through three months of beautiful gardening, leave courtesy of Ryan Air. And I started, again, I had a, an idea in my head that, look, strategy is a big problem. Operationally is a big problem for a lot of business internally and externally and in making this work. And I thought, well, that's what I do best. Like beyond the creativity and the funny crap we put out on the internet, which is great. And I have my couple of funny ones that I love myself, a couple of dad jokes. Where I get my kick out of what I do is spotting problems and trying to find a way to fix it. Thinking outside the box. What are the challenges that we face when we contact and based on the reality of what business can have? And putting a team of people, no matter how big or small, together to try and figure that out. When you see that click, when you see them grow, when you see them develop, that's where I get my buzz from. And a lot of the same common problems were appearing when people were coming, oh, Michael, we want you to be a head of social in this business. And I'm like, you don't need me as a head of social because you're just going to bring me in, pay me through the notes for money. You know, I'm going to sit under a head of brand. I won't have a seat at the table. You won't let me fight the fight that I think is right. So all I become is a really overpaid community manager. And I said, that's not what you need. These are the things you need. And there's a better way to do it. How about you have somebody who comes in and needs and advises you on what you need to do, define your strategy, coach and develop a team. And when you think it's to a sustainable way, hand over the keys and ride off into the sunset. And instead of hiring that overinflated head of social who'll come in and get frustrated and then walk out and you're in the same shit a year later, you could actually hire two people who are really good executionally and have then support and guidance of how to actually get and the same things came and unwrapped and unwrapped. And this cost paid a spade. I want to make some good money too. Yeah, yeah. I do want to go back farming. That's not a joke. So <laughs> this is building my retirement. Would these start to unpack and unfold? And I went, there is a better way of doing it. And I'd like to do it with as many brands and businesses as I can. And um, it's fun. It's challenging. Putting on different hats time after time. And again, doing the things that I really enjoy. You know, calling stuff out, being true. And frankly, it's about going in about, you know, I'm not coming in to be anybody's friend. I'm coming in to be an impartial advice. I'm not a friend of the third party. I'm not a friend of the marketing team. I'm coming in to look at what's going on, what you need to achieve. Can social, because I may even get to the point of going, do you know what, guys? You are spending way too much budget elsewhere. I don't even think you need social much. Yeah. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, and I'll ask it to you. You probably have listened to it, so you probably know the answer. So if you do, be honest. When was the last time Nike posted organically on their Facebook account? So did hear this. You did hear this. They have 70 million followers on their Facebook yeah. And When was the last time they published on it? I, I can't remember. Was it three years ago or something? January 2018. So you think of a brand as big and famous and great at storytelling as Nike, but they're not posting on Facebook. What's going on here? You can make an assumption that they understand how everything else is working holistically, how they're delivering store and telling them if other folks can be a platform, then they made the decision not to use social in that way. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're not using social. That doesn't mean they're not using Facebook. If you go into their ads library, where on their profile, you can go down to transparency, you can go into ads library, you can actually see all the paid media campaigns that they are running. They run, on average, 1,900 paid media campaigns on Meta every given month. 
So you can be on social media without being on social media. Yeah. And some people don't need to be on. But what I'll come in and I'll actually make the decisions for you in the most impartial way based on, again, the insights available, how you're delivering comms across all of the touch points. Rather than doing the same thing ever, can social solve a problem that any other channel can't? And if there is an opportunity, well, then I'm going to try and build a way to do it. And if not, get off social. Because let's be realistic. Probably 90% or more brands that are using social media at the moment are just plugging a hole. It is wallpaper, and it's a waste of investment, in my humble opinion. And there are better ways to do it. And if that means getting off the channels and not doing anything, that's a good decision for your business. And that's, you know, can be a great decision. And also, I think you mentioned kind of coming in helping, like, want a better word, a coach and mentor yeah. people. Does, you know, we talked about this earlier. Be, there can people, be people in organizations who may not be there yet, but actually having someone with that experience to come in and say, look, I'm going to help you become the next head of social that's required. Or what, you know, it's probably a good investment for someone. It's needed because it's probably one of the most invested areas in terms of education yeah. and development. And you've got everyone in the world, and how many people have probably done Mark Richardson's MBA at this stage? Many? Few? Anybody wanting to do it but can't get the sign off from your client or your brand? Not many. But again, there's not enough out there to do it. And I, when I talk to my team members, I, I always try to make a promise to them, whether it's a filler or not, is another story, but I've really tried, is that I want to understand where they want to get to next. And if I know where they want to get to next, well, I can understand how in this term global can I coach and develop and get them there. And if not, what is a percentage of time within their day, in their week to week that we can open up to allow to unlock that? And I'll give you an a couple of examples. Like one of, I brought in a senior manager and I told her, like, what is your ambition? She wants to be a head of social. Well, I knew she wasn't quite there yet in strategic thinking and she needed more time managing people. But my commitment was in July 2022, 2023, was it 23? That I would get her into my position because I also have ambitions. Yeah, I also yeah, grow yeah. and develop, whether it's in the business, around the business. I make that commitment. So if I make that commitment and try and deliver on that promise, I know I'm going to get the best out of people every time. And that's how I can nurture and people and grow people all the time. And it's really, really important because there are not enough people out there who are doing it in the right way. They're all talking tactically, but they're not talking about how strategically become better decision makers in the business. How to actually walk into a room when you have only 30 minutes with a CEO and trying to give a rational case as to why we need to develop and expand and invest more in this area. And most times they can't because they don't have the confidence. They want to learn how it's communicating. And they're just really getting up with time. Yes. And that's where we get it wrong all the time. Yeah, and it's good for, good for the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, it helps animate everything. Stay tuned for a bonus portion of this episode, a live questions and answers session with the audience. We, we have time for some questions from, from the floor. So, sure, we have questions in the middle. I'm not so going to choke this because I think these people are... We'll pass by, but we do need... Uh, I don't have health insurance for the business just yet, so I'm just website. Do you want to talk? It's not. Did you sign the waivers coming in? <laughs> short questions, please. I'm a short question. Uh, just maybe let's know uh, who you are. Uh, Tree Stoyers, a marketing manager for Club. I'm Tree to meet you. And it's just a sort of short question. So, um, big fan of your work, first of all. Um, but you talk about going in and building teams and setting up the right group. I'd love to get your thoughts on the kind of internal approach versus outsourcing. So, from your point of view, several brands, several agencies, all working across social. Is it your thinking that it's better to bring that in-house and find the right talent or to continue to work with Experts externally. It depends. <laughs> uh, if you are working in, a, in an organic space where you need pace and speed, 
and you know it's a specific type of work you need to deliver in-house is best because again it's going to speed up the again when you think of cost the return on investment and volume and frequency building those internal capabilities are great and there's nobody who's going to be ingrained in your brand more than the people who work there so yes there are there are merits to it and for the majority of it i know we're on in this journey of building in-house capabilities and big brands that's happening there are actually a few people here who are working in that space and so they're here to understand a bit more about that but again, it does depend. But there is a point where you're going to hit certain capacity, certain frequency, and certain things where you just won't be able to deliver. So having an external support as a sounding board, really, really important. Having external support to deliver on bigger campaign things or things that need to be done a huge volume, that's important. There, it's a mix of both is the dream, but not everybody has to mix the both. So you have to make a decision. And it goes back to what I said earlier, reality. Your time, your resource, and your budget. If you only have a small amount of budget, the reality of you working with a third party and getting value for money, there's a big question mark around that. Because again, this is probably another conversation we could have for another day, but the agency model is broken and it's not right. We all need to make money. And again, I'm here to bloody make money. Let's call it a bloody spade a spade. But it all depends on how big the brand is, the realities of your time, resource, and budget to make that decision. Okay, so again, it all, and then it all goes back to the most important thing, why? Why the hell are you doing it for the first place? And then build your team and your resource based on that strategy. Again, if you start getting ahead of that, you're either going over invest in one area, do it wrong, and it may not be fit for purpose. But that's where somebody like Frankly can. <laughs> Any other questions there? Come behind, Jill. Hello, it's uh, Jen Power from McDonald's. Steve, Thanks, Okay. I'm loving the honesty and the candor and clearly you're at the top of your game. But for, for anyone listening um, in today, um, I suppose who's starting out in a career or early on in their social media career, what advice would you give your younger self and what would you do differently? Stick to farming. <laughs> uh, it's a tough one. Um, I think a couple of things. Get the most rounded opinions on the landscape as much as possible. So what I try to do is I'm so curious about what I do all the time that I don't just listen to people that speak the same as me and, and talk about the platforms the same as me. I actually spend more time on people who think the opposite, people who are anti my views, anti everything that I say or do, to actually try and challenge my thinking even more to go and see, am I directing people in the right way? Can I do it better? So it's probably having the most impartial view on the landscape as much as possible because it's forever changing. Be relentless, be curious, and start to build the most rounded set of skills that you can. Because right now, the reality is you need to be a jack of all trades when it comes to social. And the best social people I'm hiring at the moment are people who are very good creatively, very good at actually creating the content itself and then understanding the channels. And that comes with the problems too, because that means that, again, wear out, burnout, capacity, resource, it becomes a problem for, for the individual. But you need to have that varying set of skills to understand how to use the platform. Does that sound like a believable answer? Right? <laughs> and other. Oh, this the next question. How do you keep on top of all of that? Like, there's a lot to try to keep on top of. Where are you going to, to read and stay curious? Um, it's the same. I, like, I follow a specific amount of creators and individuals that um, are very good top leaders, but then other people who are snake oil merchants who are selling the bullshit. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm a little bit more here, but I'm on, I'm on the way. 
Um, so again, I, I try to have the most rounded view in the landscape as possible. But also, again, sorry, this is another one I should add to this. You know, when it comes to social media as well, you still need to know the timeless truths of how to use it from a marketing point of view, if marketing is what we'll talk to you about. So given in the literature and understanding, again, the basic principles of marketing is really important because I think that's something that a lot of social media people are not. They're understanding the platforms, they're understanding the tactics, they're amazing creative people, but they don't understand how to bring it back to brand or business. So again, learning time issues and marketing before. So again, finding a few books or ways to learn that would be important. You know, the long and short of it, how brands grow, alchemy by always over, and all those kind of key staples that they need to get into their system to then match social with marketing will be a really good thing. Yes. They can listen to this podcast as well. <laughs> like to tweet together very basic level. And that's even what I try and teach my team first. I, I take away the shiny toys that are spoof and I try and build it from scratch. Excel sheets and doing things manually to, to really earn and figure it out themselves before going and overpaying. Because again, social media as an industry, we're struggling to get investment in. So paying a hundred grand for a listening tool that's absolute bollocks that isn't a true reflection of social media is a waste of money in my opinion until they come with a solution. Because they always come and send it, oh, it's even better now. I said, okay, where are you pulling the data from? Uh, Twitter's API and public commentary on Facebook, which is again, not enough. Yeah. Uh, Twitter, how is it gonna, has it been going next year? Yeah, it won't go away, it's not going away. Like, you know, it's the best to fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it won't, but again, the one thing I found interesting is it was the, uh, the power play of big brands saying, oh, we're removing all of our investments from these platforms. Do you think he on a scared? No, because this happened to Facebook about three or four years ago when, whether I think the transparency and safety and the big players had to put away too, but they were like, we can deal with this because what you need to understand is the majority of people who are using advertising on social media are SMEs and not the big players. When you put away the big players, it's a small chunk. The large majority of people, and he even said it on stage, that it's okay, now we're going to shift our focus to how we can help SMEs using platform one, because he knows that that's where most of the money is not and coming from, so he's not worried. But there are plenty of things that need to break it. We're like, oh wait, no. These trends needed to be a better place? Yes, but are they ready? No, they're not. Unless they get into Europe, they're going to struggle even to, to change our mindset. And all trends is at the moment is a place where social media managers can go and have corporate banter with each other because the company doesn't know what exists. <laughs> Sounds like a good use of time. You're... Yeah, don't, don't read trends reports because again, it's full of tactical bullshit. All I ask for people to do, whether it's, it's here with Frankly or not, I don't give a damn. I'm lucky enough where I've got a lot of business. I still want your business. I'm just trying to be cool here. <laughs> but essentially, start thinking strategically, please. Okay, every brand in here can do a better job on the platforms if they actually find a problem that the platforms can solve. And don't be afraid if it doesn't or not, because if most of you switch off everything you did tomorrow morning, nobody would give a fuck. That's the reality. Okay, that's the reality. But yet, people in here are varying from using six-figure budgets to bloody one million budgets in social, and you're just wasting your money because you're not actually doing anything that is impactful. So all I ask is to think strategically. If you can't think strategically, <laughs> we have a question. We have a question. How are you? Uh, it's a follow on to your threads uh, mentioned there. It launches in the EU on Thursday. And what do you think were the biggest mistakes the platform made with the original launch? And what did they need to change to get 
to make it a long-term success? I don't think they need to change much. The fact that now it's now it's accessible, it will help. They made some huge decisions around plugging into automatically bringing followers from Instagram over. However, Instagram people don't use Twitter probably quite a lot. They need to convince everyone else. So it will start from the top down rather than the bottom up. You need the big players to move. You need the big media publications to make sense. You need people stop reporting the news on those platforms in order to give Treads a chance of winning. Once that becomes the source of instant news and breaking news, now it's going to start playing a positive matter to Twitter. No matter whether you like it or not, most times people go to the actual platforms is to actually find what's breaking and what's happening on the books. Live engagement when it comes to sports, news, breaking things that are happening. That's where the source is. And that's where it works to be. Some people would argue Reddit to an extent as well, but you know, once they start to bring the media houses over, it could be toast. But I don't think it will be. Um, I, I, it would be hard for people to, to navigate away from it. Brayton, yes, thanks. I think it's only the interview for EU at the moment. Yeah, that's all I see. And I'm like, I still have a post that is like, like in this kind of rainbow wheel of dead posting. Because funny enough, when it came, we found a way to actually get on it. We used an ATB uh, bypass to actually download the app and, and we had Ryan Carrollton running for a few weeks and even our own account. So we actually got it so they figured out this was happening and then they closed us down. <laughs> <laughs> Have we any other questions before we wrap up? This Michael, thanks so much. One last question. How do you, how do you chill out? Wine or wine. <laughs> Friday night, two, ga two glasses of um, um, two glasses of Rioja and a single malt. And then I think for me is like because my mind is like this hamster wheel, or maybe eight hamsters in there. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a while for me to switch off. So I actually need white noise or something like Netflix, and I spend a lot of time in the evening binging. Because even at that, I'm on my phone first. I'm like. Looking at scrolling, eventually I'll start to kind of take it down. And then three or four hours later, two o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting there. What the fuck are we doing? Ah, I'm not thinking about what I should be. It's time for some. And then I go. But again, it takes a while. Um, it's probably down to my maybe dyslexic brain or just, again, I've become an addict. I don't know. Um, it's hard to switch off. But again, that's the benefit of, I guess, what the business I run because. Like, I mean, probably one of the most best informed people on it. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, listen, thanks so much. Really appreciate you and um, being a guest on That's What I Call Everyone Marketing. And a big thank you for everyone for coming, by the way, too. And look, if anything, you came to hear a bit of unfiltered, maybe preaching, but again, I keep saying, please think strategically and hopefully we'll all do better work. Brilliant. Everyone, quite the Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode and apologies again for the slightly lower quality of sound. I have to say, I really enjoyed spending time with Michael. He's a smart guy. He's driven. And honestly, in the conversations off stage, he is really sound. He wants to do good work and help people do good work. And, you know, in lots of ways, he's a low tolerance for bad work. That's okay. So look, that's it for this episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. Please do subscribe, share, rate and review the show wherever you're listening or watching. It really does help us reach a new audience and build on this great community of amazing marketers. Of course, if you would like to reach this engaged community of great marketers, you can get involved with That's What I Call Marketing through show sponsorship or content partnerships. Get in touch with us on that's what I call marketing.com and let's talk.